Well, it's good to see you all here, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I talked to exactly one person who enjoys this time change. to um, be able to be here together today. And there I am. Good. Thank you. Let's, uh, let's pray, and uh, then we will get into our text this morning. Father, we come to you this morning, and we praise you that we are able to do so. We worship you. We call to mind who you are. We call to mind what you have done. And we worship you and give you honor and we give you glory. We don't bow down to anything else or anyone else, but to you. We praise you for your work on our behalf. First of all, you created us and now you have redeemed us. Thank you for sending Jesus for us. Thank you that you did not give us justice, but instead in Christ, we have mercy. Father, we praise you And we thank you for that. We thank you for your many blessings in our lives. Thank you that we get to be here this morning. We get to be in a a warm and safe place, gathered together, taking time out of our week to be able to hear from your word, to be able to sing worship and praise to you, to be able to fellowship with your children. Father, thank you for the church, and thank you for this opportunity. And as we turn now to your word, as we read in the book of Romans, and we'll be talking about Paul's prayer, we ask that you would help us to set aside things that have gone before that would be distracting or things that we anticipate that might be distracting, that we would be all here reading your word, listening to it, that you, by your spirit, would use your word and work in our hearts. So, Father, we seek you this morning. We seek you in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in Romans chapter 1, and we're going to be reading in verses 8 through 15. And this section is a prayer. And uh, this is after the, the, the initial greetings where Paul has introduced himself, and he's introduced the gospel, and then he's, uh, he has uh, addressed the church there in Rome. And now he goes right into prayer. He's going to thank God for them. He's going to pray certain things for them in these verses. And so we're going to look at his prayer today, starting in chapter 1 and verse 8. We're going to go all the way down through verse 15. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks 
and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. When we study the Bible and when we preach the Bible, we uh, it doesn't take us long to see Hello. that the go. Bible is not shy. <clears throat> so three of the last four weeks, you've had snow, I think. Right? Last week was the first time we didn't have That's a little startling. <laughs> a person could say anything. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's messed up. <laughs> when we read the Bible, we see that God's word is not shy about pointing out the foibles of the people of God. Right? When you read through the Bible, you see very clearly the sins of the people. Even God's people, even God's dear chosen ones. The Bible's not shy about uh, pointing out to us that though God has used them mightily, yet they are not the hero of the story. For example, David, right? A great man, a great example, not always. And we think about the story of David and Goliath, and even with that, uh, the boy with the sling and the, and the rocks, the, that story is not about his prowess with a weapon. That story is not even primarily about his bravery, though he was very brave. That story is about how God would use a tiny pebble to fell a giant, God's enemy. It's about God. God is the hero. God is the victor. It's not the man. And so that's something that as we read Scripture, we see that, that, yeah, there are admirable things about this character and that character, but in the end, it is ultimately God who is always the hero. And such is the case, of course, in Paul's life. And we don't want to lift Paul up as our example uh, that we should follow um, when, when he insists that we look to Christ. But he does say, follow me as I follow Christ. And so as we look to our passage this morning, I don't want us to miss some things that are buried in here in Paul's prayer. Because we see his heart being revealed. He shows us what's really going on inside. And there's a lot there that we need to catch. And there's a lot there that would be uh, instructive for us. And so as we look through it this morning, we are going to learn some things from Paul's example in this prayer for us in this passage. We don't want to miss the message that he has for us. And I think the message that he has for us in this passage is that our greatest desire for others should be for their spiritual growth. I think he exemplifies that in this passage. He does so, first of all, with his gospel-centered prayer. Verses 8 through 10 there, he starts off and he's thanking God and he moves into prayer for them, right? He, he first of all, is uh, giving a, uh, a gospel thankfulness. Gospel thankfulness there in verse 8. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Why? Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. He's, he's thankful, giving thanks for the work of the gospel in their midst for their very salvation. Now, it's interesting here, he starts off with the word first. And if you keep on reading, you will not find a word second, <laughs> or number two, or even B, as we sometimes do. You know, first and then B. <laughs> he doesn't even do that. And uh, one uh, great preacher said that he, he thought this was because Paul was became so impassioned by what he was praying about here that he never got to two and three and four. 
at least he didn't continue with the same structure that he started out with because he was so absorbed. He started off with an outline perhaps in mind and then he was so in, absorbed in, uh, in his prayer and his love for these people and his uh, praising God for the work of the gospel in their lives that he never got to uh, the rest of his structured outline. Of course, he told us everything he wanted to say, but it is interesting that he starts with first and then never gets to second. It's interesting also that he says here, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. We get to pray. And you, you hear me say this when I pray uh, before and after we preach. Um, I, we get to pray not by virtue of being human. To actually have that communication with God, to be able to speak with God himself, is ours because of what Jesus has done. He himself is the mediator between God and man. He himself is the one who makes it possible for us to go directly to God and speak to him and not have to go through some earthly priest, not have to go through something else or be barred utterly because of our sin. Because of Jesus, we are able to pray to the Father. And even here, he's giving thanks and he does so through Jesus. That's how he is able even to give thanks. But it's interesting also, what is he thankful for? I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith, because your faith that is proclaimed in all the world. He's thankful for these Christians in Rome. And he's never been there, remember? This isn't a church that he planted. He hadn't traveled there and, and preached and, and gathered some disciples and planted it. It wasn't his doing. He had never been there, but he had heard about their faith. And he praises God for them. He rejoices that even in the capital... There were Christians. He's thankful for their faith that God has already sent the gospel to them to draw to himself people even from Rome, which is the capital of the Roman Empire and in a sense the capital of the world at the time. And there were Christians even there. But it says their faith is proclaimed in all the world. Why? Some scholars have argued that perhaps there was something extra special, there was something extraordinary about their faith that would make it noteworthy around the world that, wow, did you hear about those Roman Christians? They're really some kind of Christians. But I don't, I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think what he's talking about here is the fact that there were any Christians in Rome. If you think about what Rome was like at the time, it was a debauched place. It was the, it was the center of all the world. One, one uh, uh, Greek author called it like the garbage can of the world. Like everything sort of flowed down there and it was kind of the gutter. Everything was there. And here in the midst of all of that, the center of the Roman power and emperor worship and all that, you have a church that wasn't even planted by an apostle. It was there planted by regular Christians like you and me. And so that is noteworthy, that even in a place like that, there would be Christians. And imagine here you were in a little village, perhaps in central Turkey, Asia Minor, and uh, you had your small group of believers, and you're thinking, this Christianity is a new thing. It's, uh, there aren't a lot of Christians around. And here we are in our tiny little meeting, huddled somewhere, perhaps fearing persecution. And then you get word that, oh, there are Christians all the way in Rome. This isn't some, this isn't some budding little tiny movement of people that's about to squeak out and die. No, the gospel has gone all the way to Rome, to the, to the heart of the empire. And there's a church there that is thriving. They would have been encouraged by that. So, first of all, we have Paul's 
thankfulness. And second of all, we have his gospel intercession. Look what we have in verse 9. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always. Gospel intercession for them. He starts off by introducing it with an oath. For God is my witness. He's not just uh, trying to flatter them so that they'll read the rest of his letter. He's not just uh, laying out uh, some kind of uh, pleasantries. He calls God to be his witness of the truth of his sincerity of heart so that they will read it and know here is the Apostle Paul and he cares about us. He's writing to us. He says, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit. With his whole being, he serves God. With all that he is, right down to the core, the center of who he is, he serves God with his whole heart. His whole life, his every ambition, his every desire and hope was wrapped up in the service of the Lord. Whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. I wonder... What do we serve with our spirit? What, what do we serve with all that we are? What has captured our minds? What has captured all of us to the extent that we could say, that's what I serve in my spirit. That's what I serve with my whole life. And he says specifically that he serves God in the gospel of his son. His whole life is about preaching the gospel about teaching the gospel, about explaining and exhorting and defending and planting the church, churches according to the gospel. And of course, we have this epistle right here, which lays that out as clearly as any. He serves God in the gospel of His Son. The gospel is about Jesus. It's about what Jesus has accomplished we, we can talk about God until we're blue in the face, but if we never get to Jesus, we never get to the gospel. I remember very clearly a, a man in, uh, when I lived in Chicago, and he, he talked incessantly about God, in so, so much so that even the Christians were annoyed with him. But he never talked about Jesus. He never got around to G Jesus. His whole message was, you need to get right with God. And that was the end of his... He never told people how. If we don't get to Jesus, we don't get to the gospel itself. Because the gospel is all about God's working to save people. That we who have been created in God's image would fall into sin, would become rebels and disobedient to God. And God didn't just snap his fingers and make that go away. He didn't just say, well, I guess I'll take that as a loss. He sent His Son, Jesus. And Jesus became one of us who obeyed where we have disobeyed. That He might die in our place that we would not have to. That His offering of His own life could be applicable to our lives. So that our sins could be forgiven in Christ. The gospel is all about Jesus and what Jesus has done. And Paul himself says, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. So we see that 
Paul's desire here is that he, he wants to, uh, he's been praying for these people and he's praying gospel prayers for them. He wants them to grow in the faith. He wants them to uh, continue to uh, be blessed as a church. And he's praying always, God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. He continues on asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. He has even gospel desires. See, he, he doesn't just want to go to Rome so that he can see Rome. If I were to buy a ticket to go to Rome and go all the way there, I'd want to see the buildings, I'd want to see the history, I would want to go to the museums, I'd, I'd want to see what's there. But his desire is for them. His desire is for their growth. That they might be blessed as a church, that they might be strengthened as a church. And it's interesting, his desire is a good desire to go and bless the church there in Rome. It's not selfish just so he can go on a great tour or so that he can be built up and aggrandized so that they can make much of him. His desire is a good desire. And yet it hasn't happened. It hasn't happened yet. He's wanted to go there for many years. And, of course, we know the story. If you remember from the book of Acts, he does end up going to Rome, doesn't he? And he's in chains. He does make it there. But it's not really under his own steam. He wanted to go. And he wanted to go for the sake of the gospel. He wanted to go to bless these people. And so if we think about our own lives, what's the application uh, for us in this? Well, Paul's prayer reveals a heart that has the gospel at the very center of his desires. The very center of his plans, of his hopes, of his prayers. I want us, I want Parkside to have a heart like that. That when we see need, when we see a situation, when we think of a person, when we read the news, that our desire, our greatest desire, when someone around us gets sick, perhaps, our greatest desire when we, when we hear of a trouble in a family or whatever, that our greatest desire would be for that person's spiritual growth. That the gospel would have greater and greater meaning in their own lives. So, what are your greatest dreams and ambitions in life? Are they centered around the gospel? Or maybe they're centered around something else? Maybe you're a young person and you're just starting out at life, in life and you're, you're looking at a career and you're deciding what you might want to do. Is the gospel at the center of that? Is God's work at the center of what you want to do with your life? That doesn't mean that every young person has to go into ministry. Not every young person should go into ministry. But I want us to have this kind of heart, that even when we're considering what we're going to do for employment, we would be considering, how can I be useful to God? How can I be a blessing to others? How can I bring the gospel to people around me in that profession? How can I use that, be involved in that, for the glory of God? Consider Paul's heart in these verses. He himself had been thoroughly transformed by the gospel. His whole reality and his whole purpose in life had been changed when he met Jesus on that road to Damascus. And now every breath that he takes is a gospel breath. He's thinking in terms of the gospel. And we continue on with his gospel-centered goals. Look at verse 11. 
for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. It's, he's looking for gospel strengthening for this church. He wants to go there, not so he can see the buildings, but he wants to go there so that he can strengthen them. That I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. It's possible that he's talking about spiritual gifts like we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you know, wisdom and knowledge and miracles and healing and prophecy. It's possible he's talking about that. that w- those were given at that time in order to strengthen the churches. And he, as an apostle... It seems like he had the ability to pass on those gifts by the laying on of hands. So it's possible he's talking about those kinds of spiritual gifts. And we know that they are given to strengthen the church. But I think he's probably talking about his own teaching. He wants to go there, get to know them, and pass on to them teaching, apostolic teaching that will strengthen them, that will build them up. He doesn't know perhaps where they're lacking. Maybe they know a lot about this and not a lot about this. Or maybe they're confused about this thing over here. Maybe they've never even heard of this aspect. And he can come in and he can teach them more fully. He wants to bless them spiritually. He wants to strengthen them with the gospel. But he continues. Look at verse 12. That is, he defines more what he means by the strengthening. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Both yours and mine. He's He's interested in gospel encouragement. Notice they're, they're being encouraged by each other's faith. And I wondered of myself when I read this, how do I encourage people? Uh, I wondered what kind of encouragement do I look for? A pat on the back? You can do it, Brennan. That's encouraging, right? That's not the kind of encouragement he's talking about. He wants to encourage them in the faith. He wants to be encouraged by their faith. What kind of encouragement do you seek? We see, of course, this church in Rome, it being the, you know, the, the, the garbage can, kind of the gutter of the, of the place, because everything kind of fell down there, and that's where they lived. That would have been tough. It would have been tough to be a small church there that had not been established by an apostle, didn't have that kind of defense, didn't have that kind of protection. And there they were in that kind of place with possibly dealing with uh, persecution and things like that. We know the Roman church had already been affected by that. They needed encouragement. And Paul wanted to show up and he, he wanted to teach them and he wanted to encourage them with his own faith and say, I, you guys have it tough. I, I've had it tough too. Look at this, this shipwreck. I went through that and, and the beating and the stoning and the things that I've gone through. I can relate to you and, and encourage you that Jesus is faithful even in the midst of those things so that he could encourage them with his faith and that he also might be encouraged by theirs. One of the things that, that uh, was a surprise to me when I first went into ministry is that it can be lonely in ministry. Because you, you, you know about certain situations and you, you hear things about people that you can't really talk about and, and you don't want to, so you're praying for that person, you're praying for this person, and you're dealing with this situation. And, and it can be lonely in ministry. And this is just speaking as a regular pastor who works with another pastor. So we can encourage each other with another elder. and We can encourage each other. And here's Paul. Not just a pastor of a church, but he's, he's an apostle and he's been sent. And when he goes, he gets beaten and he has people turn on him and he has problems and he has, gets run out of, run out of town. He gets arrested and keeps getting kicked out of synagogues and is always dealing. It's lo- It can be lonely. It can be discouraging some of the things that he would have faced. And he says, you guys can encourage me with your faith. You can encourage 
and lift up me. So he seeks gospel encouragement, both to give it and to receive it, and then he seeks a gospel harvest. Look at verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. He, he had wanted to go there for so long. He had been praying and asking God for a long time to be able to go there. Hadn't worked out yet. And he doesn't know the future. He doesn't know the rest of the story that, oh, it'll work out. And, uh, and you'll go there and you'll be there for two years locked up. <laughs> you'll, you'll get there. But he doesn't know that. But his desire for going there, the reason he wants to go there is so that he might reap some harvest among them. He, he wants to reap a harvest, and I, I wondered what that was. I mean, there were already Christians there, and they were probably already doing evangelism because that's what Christians do, is they tell others about Christ. Christians do evangelism, so uh, I wondered if it was evangelism. He wanted to lead new people to Christ, and that's possible. I, I can't imagine Paul showing up to town and not doing evangelism. I can't imagine him going, going to Rome and not going to the synagogue so that he can preach there and lead people to Christ. But I think it's more than that. I think it's, I think it's reaping a gospel harvest among believers. That he, that he would see greater fruit, that he would see those Christians there who believe in Christ and are genuinely Christians, that he would go and preach to them and see them be strengthened, growing in their own faith, so that they're, they're uh, greater able to, more able to endure these hardships, perhaps, that they're going through. That they're able to work out these, maybe, conflicts within the, the Jewish-Gentile community there. That they're, that they're better able to share the gospel, to stand firm under trial. He wants to go and preach to them and reap a harvest of that. Because he wants to see them grow and he wants to see them strengthened. And so everything that Paul does is for the sake of the gospel. And that's why he wants to go to Rome. And that's why he wants to spend time among them. He wants to reap a gospel harvest. This is why we try to remind you as often as we can of the gospel. For at least three reasons. I think of three different uh, categories of people. There are people who show up who perhaps have never heard the gospel or maybe they've just never trusted Christ and they need to hear the gospel. And it's our desire that when we preach the gospel to them, when we, when we declare Christ and what he's done and when we call them to faith and repentance, it's our prayer that you would turn to Christ, the person who has come in. And so we preach the gospel. We also preach the gospel for another group of people. And those are the ones who maybe have, have sat in our midst for years, maybe. Maybe they've been here and they've heard the gospel a hundred times, two hundred times. And, and maybe even they think they're Christians, but truly they've never been converted. And so it's, it's our prayer that when we preach the gospel, when we declare what Christ has done, when we call people to faith and repentance, that one day that person, that one day you will realize, hey, that's me. And I've never really trusted Christ. I've never put my faith in Him. It's our prayer that you would come to Christ. But we also preach the gospel to true Christians. Because the gospel continues to bear fruit in the life of the Christian, even after conversion. The gospel doesn't just bring someone to Christ. The gospel doesn't just uh, bring someone into eternal life and now they don't need that thing anymore. Now they don't need to, to hear that. Now they don't need to contemplate that or understand it anymore. 
comfort and assurance and motivation to continue fighting sin comes from the gospel itself. And so we proclaim the gospel even to true believers. The gospel says that you have died to sin. How then can you still live in it? The gospel says that in Christ you have died to the condemnation of the law. You are now free to obey obey God because you have been changed and because you have been freed instead of in order that you might be changed or freed. The gospel says you have been set free. And so you can obey God. The gospel says that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies to make you want to obey God from the heart. And so we preach the gospel to Christians. And praise the Lord, the gospel says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We praise the Lord for that. And so we preach the gospel to Christians. Because you and I, Christian, need to hear these things over and over and over. So what's the application for us? Do you seek to bless your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you pray for ways? Do you pray for opportunities that you can strengthen, that you can encourage other believers spiritually? We gather at church week after week. We're here a lot. Every Sunday we show up. And when we show up, what do we have on our minds? What's our expectation? Sometimes we're just in need and we need to come and receive from one another. We need to come and be encouraged. This is the place for that. The the church has been likened to a hospital. It's where sick people go. That's you and me. So sometimes we, we need that encouragement and we come and we just need to be lifted up by our brothers and sisters in Christ. But when you go to church, is that your only thing that you're seeking or do you seek to encourage and bless brothers and sisters in Christ around you? Do you seek the growth and, and, and spiritual encouragement, spiritual development of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you look for that? Do you look for opportunity for that? Do you pray for opportunity for that? Do you pray for opportunity to be able to share the gospel with your believing friend? To encourage them in a difficult situation? To speak to them when they're wrestling with sin? When they're wrestling with discouragement? When someone has sinned against them, do you remind them of of their great sin against God and the forgiveness that they have in Christ? And therefore, the forgiveness that they can pour out on other people? When your friend is discouraged about life, discouraged about himself, discouraged about the future, do you preach the gospel to that friend? Do you encourage them with what Christ has done? Brothers and sisters, we need to be bringing the gospel to one another. We need to be seeking to encourage each other that way. Not just to be together, and it's fun to be together, and it is. It's fun to laugh at one another and laugh at ourselves. That's fun. But we're Christians, We're not a social club. And so the core of our encouragement for one another needs to be the gospel. And so let's learn to share the gospel with each other. And he concludes his prayer here with gospel-centered motivations. Look at verse 14. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. First of all, he wants to take the gospel to all nations. Greeks and barbarians. So the Greeks were the more cultured people. They spoke the Greek language. They were fluent in Greek uh, culture and literature. They were uh, not just ethnically Greek, but they were, they were kind of polished. 
And then there are the non-Greeks, the barbarians. The word barbarian comes from, it, it means anyone who's not Greek because their language sounds funny. Bar, bar, bar. It's kind of an onomatopoeia, right? And so the barbarian doesn't mean that they run around wearing skins and, and wielding clubs. Barbarian means anyone who's not a Greek, someone who's not fluent in our culture, someone who doesn't know how to get around. And Paul says, I'm under obligation to Greeks. And so he would go to Mars Hill and he would discuss with the philosophers and he would talk with them on that level. And the barbarians. So he would wander through central Turkey. He would go and minister to people who were not a part of that in crowd. He was called to be the apostle to the nations. And he, he says he's, he's a debtor. The, the word here is literally debtor. Mine says, I, I, I'm under obligation, but it's, I'm a debtor to these people. He had received a debt when he received instruction from Christ, go and take the gospel to the nations. And the only way he can fulfill that debt, the only way he can fulfill that obligation is to take the gospel everywhere. And so that's his desire. He wants to take the gospel to all nations. He wants also to take the gospel to all types. Look at how it says there, not just to, to Greeks and to barbarians, but to the wise and to the foolish. The, un, the educated and the uneducated. The, the people who are sophisticated and the people who are unsophisticated. Right? The refined folks and the simple folks. The gospel is not just for people in ivory towers. The gospel is not just for smart people. It's not just for people of a particular race or a particular, particular ethnic group or, or uh, some kind of socio, uh, sociological category or a clique. The gospel is for everyone. And so you have Paul who's able to stand and go toe-to-toe with philosophers. He's able to stand and go toe-to-toe with rabbis. And he's able to share the gospel with his jailer in Philippi. Because the gospel is for the jailer too. And so his obligation, this debt that he has, is not just to uh, the, 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 the Greeks, but also to the barbarians, and not only to the wise, but also to the foolish. He says in verse 15, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So he wants to take the gospel to all nations, to all types, and he wants to take the gospel to Rome. And it turns out all of those types were in Rome. And that Rome was the hub for all of those types. For Greeks, it was the hub. And for the barbarians, it was the hub. And for everyone, it was the hub. And so he wants to take the gospel there. He wants to go and strengthen that church. Because it's so strategic. Paul has a great love for them. He's already called God to witness to that. That he has such a great love and a desire for that church to grow and be strengthened. He loves these people, but he, he's also able to think strategically. Because just like the Lattes, ministering up in, in Reno at a university, where people come in from closed countries, that if you wanted to go there as a missionary, you couldn't get a visa. And if you could get in, it might not be safe for you to go there. And here... Those people are sending students to hear the gospel in Reno. What a strategy. So that these people come to Christ and they go back to their country, their closed country, where you and I would not be able to go. And it's their home. It's strategic. And Rome is the same way. Everybody sent their people to Rome. And if you could get the gospel to Rome, and if you could strengthen that church in Rome, and, and if it would really be uh, strengthened and would grow and have an impact, oh, the impact it would have all over the world. The gospel 
is for all types of people. And this is the application for us. The gospel is for people who have a squeaky clean past. Who have always been morally upright. Their teachers loved them. Parents thought they were the greatest ever. Never did anything wrong. Goody two-shoes. The gospel is for those people. So that they can be saved from their own self-righteousness. That self-righteousness will not help them before God. On the other end of the spectrum, the gospel is for people whose lives have been totally wrecked and destroyed. Perhaps even through their own sin and their own choices. The gospel is for them. To save them from that sin. That they might be redeemed. That people who have, have dug a hole in the bottom of a pit. And that's where they live. The gospel is for them. Children need the gospel. Old people need the gospel. The educated and the sophisticated need the, go- the gospel. And so do the unsophisticated people, the uneducated people, simple people. Regular people need the gospel. There's no one too good for the gospel. There's no one too smart for the gospel. There are people who think they are too smart for the gospel, and that's, that's a shame, but it's not true. No one has it together enough that they don't need Christ. And there's no one too bad for the gospel. The gospel isn't over anyone's head. The gospel is not beyond anyone's reach. The person who has made utter shipwreck of their life, the gospel is for them. There's no one who's demolished his life to the point where the gospel is no longer for him. Now, I don't know where you place yourself on those spectrums. I don't know what you think of yourself. I don't know what you think of your neighbor in that regard. But if you don't know Christ, you need to know Christ. Wherever you are on that spectrum. You're not too smart. You're not too dumb for the gospel. You're not too much. You're not too big for the gospel. And you're not too small. And you're not too little for the gospel. And so if that's you and you don't know Christ, you need to know Him. He commands all men everywhere to repent and believe the gospel and receive eternal life. And so we proclaim the gospel to believers, to unbelievers, to all of us. And Paul himself, we see in this, in this prayer of his, we see his own heart that he was consumed with the gospel. When he prayed for them, it was that they would grow spiritually. It wasn't just that they would be healthy. It wasn't just that they would have, have a safe trip or uh, all the things that we pray for. But it was that they would grow in Christ. That they would be strengthened. And that's my prayer for you. And that's my prayer for me. That's our prayer as elders for this church. We want to see people grow in Christ. And those who think, well, this... uh Gospel thing is beyond me. And I don't see myself as someone who's going to think too much about it. Uh, I, I believe it, but I don't really want to, you know, dedicate my life to it. Or maybe, maybe, uh, it's, you know, smart people do that kind of stuff. Or Brennan, who likes to talk a lot about it, or someone like that. I want to encourage you the gospel is for you. I want you to think about it. I want you to ponder what Christ has done for you. I want you to ponder the debt that we had before God, the the depth of that hole that we had really dug with our own sin. 
holy God, and we have made that holy God our enemy by our sin, we would be, we would be in trouble if God gave us justice. But he sent Christ. He sent Christ in the likeness of sinful flesh to take our place, to pay that penalty that we owe. And anyone who trusts in Christ, anyone who puts their faith in him will find him to be a perfect savior. And he will redeem you. And he will make you clean. He will declare you righteous before God. He will make you his own child. He will put his spirit within you who cries in our hearts, Abba, Father, so that we know we are his. This gospel is for you. And Christian, as we get to know Christ better and better, as we grow in our own faith, as we grow in our own understanding of what this salvation means, may we grow in our own desire to take that same gospel to people around us. To the, to the lost world around us, for sure, but also to our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we might see them grow in the faith. We want to take a cue here from Paul and make our greatest desire that others would grow spiritually, that we would seek, first of all, their spiritual growth. That's why we preach the Bible. And that's why we meet together. And that's why we sing the songs that we sing. It's so that we can grow We want to see people grow in their faith. And so I need to improve in that. We need to improve in that. And we need to follow Paul's example here. His heart, his life had been so radically changed by the gospel that it was in his blood with every beat of his heart. It was in every conversation, in every letter that he wrote. Gospel to people. Let's pray. Father, I'm convicted even preaching this sermon because I don't, I don't always have that same heart. Sure, I desire people to be saved and I desire people to grow in their faith, but I want that to be more and more the case. And so I pray that you would work in me. I pray that you would work in us. And I pray that, that I and we would be so taken with what you have done for us in Christ, that we would be so taken with the gospel, that we would be so amazed that our, our whole world would change, our view of reality would change, that we would be motivated to take that same gospel that is life-transforming, reality-transforming for us, and that we would take it to our brothers and sisters in Christ even, and share with them that they might be consumed with the gospel also. I pray that you would work that in me, that you would work that in us. Father, I pray that you you would bless this church, strengthen us, and may we be those who take the gospel always. May we be those who are continually amazed and pondering what this salvation means and that we would take it to others around us, those who were lost, and we would share with them and we would urge them to, to, to believe in Christ. That they might know this same truth that we know. That they might have this same hope in Christ that we have. So Father, I pray that you'd work in our hearts, even this week, even as we go out from here and we, we go into our week. May these words, may this prayer of Paul's remain as an example for us and may we be challenged and may we be struck with the gospel 
and take it to others. So, Father, we ask for your blessing. We ask for your blessing in this regard. We pray that you would grow us spiritually. We pray that you would ground us and center us upon the gospel, our own lives, the decisions we make, our families, in everything that we do. Father, we trust you and we love you and we rejoice that you in Christ have saved sinners like me. We pray in Jesus' name. May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, and what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. God bless you all. And if you want to pray with someone, there will be a family up here to pray with you. Otherwise, you are dismissed.